good morning brothers and sisters from Mafra Community Church and anyone else who's listening in. It's good to be able to share God's Word with you again. Hopefully it will be encouraging and challenging for each one of us. Hope you've been able to have some fellowship this week. Uh, certainly have enjoyed, we've enjoyed our Bible study uh, which is on Zoom at the moment. Um, but we're just loving reading through the Gospel of John together and encouraging one another. Uh, and yeah, we look forward to that day when we can meet together. I hope you're all looking forward to that day too. Let's just pray before we get into God's Word. Gracious Father, Holy Spirit, Lord Jesus, you are one, you are our Creator, our Saviour. We ask that you fill us with your Spirit, that you teach us from your Word, and that you grow us, uh, that we might be blameless before you in that day, and that we might bring glory to you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we've been going through a series of from 1 Thessalonians. Uh, Nathan and I have been preaching through that, and we're up to the very last section. So, um, we've just a, a very quick recap. We've seen that this is Paul and Silas writing to the Thessalonian church, a very new church. Uh, they've, uh, Paul and Silas spent only a, a very short time there, and then they were taken away through uh, harassment from the, the people there, and um, they, they were quite anxious about how the church was going. They sent Timothy, their brother and, and companion, to Thessalonica. He came back with uh, a really good report and said that the Thessalonians really were growing in their faith. Um, they were imitating the believers. and they, they, their, their faith and their hope and their love was quite... Um, uh, just such a, a witness to what God had done in their lives. And um, we get to this section here, and, and throughout these last couple of chapters, uh, I've really noticed that it's, it's really about sanctification. Uh, it's about these, this, this church who's new in the faith, about them growing in the Lord, growing in holiness. That's what sanctification is. And, um, and, and this was the goal. This is the goal of any church. Um, and this is particularly the goal here for the Thessalonians. Um, so let's just read it together. And, uh, and then we'll get into it. So, so chapter 5, verse 16. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Well, I'm not going to start at chapter uh, at verse 16 here. I'm going to leave 
those uh, verses 16 to 22 for a little bit. We're going to start at verses 23 and 24 because I think this is all about sanctification. And, and these verses kind of spell that out really well. Um, so let's have a look at verses 23 and 24. Now, um, the, I noticed when I was reading this, back in chapter 3, um, verses 12 to 13, there's a very, very similar verse there to verse tw verses 23 and 24. So, chapter 5, verse 23 and 24, May the God of peace sanctify you completely. Keep your soul blameless. Go back to chapter 3, verses 12 and 13. Again, may the Lord, may the Lord do what? Make you increase and abound in love. That's what sanctification is, isn't it? And then, establish your hearts in holiness. And blameless, sorry, establish your hearts blameless in holiness at His coming. So there's a very similar um, theme here. And then sandwiched in between these two verses is all of chapter 4 and chapter 5. So just before we get to chapter 4, we've got this, this encouragement, this exhortation, may the God of peace sanctify you. Then right at the end again, in chapter 5, verse 23, we've got, May God sanctify you. And then in between, there's two chapters, verses uh, chapters 4 and 5, two chapters of the process of sanctification. And um, specifically, there's, there's some instructions, there's some do this, don't do that, um, some exhortations, if you like, and there's some specific teaching. Um, so know this and believe this. So... Um, it, it's uh, then so the, the what we're looking at this morning is um, particularly verses 16 to 22, and so we need to understand where they fit. They are specific; they're the tail end of some specific instructions that Paul's giving to the church here, um, and they are part of this sanctification process that's going on, and undergirding all of this is is God's grace and faithfulness. In, in verse 24, we see that uh, He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. It's God who sanctifies. And then, and then uh, verse 28, the grace of our Lord Jesus. So it's like chapters 4 and 5, all these instructions, you've got to do this, you've got to do that. But then we're talking about the grace of God that sanctifies. So... I guess the, the, the question is, what the process of sanctification, the process of being becoming holy uh, and becoming more godly in, in Christ, you know, in the character of Christ, how does that happen? Is that our obedience or is it God's working faithfully in us? Is it His grace in our lives? And um, I guess the short answer is it's, it's both. And... Uh, I just want to go through a, a, an analogy that might be helpful here as we understand this. I was um, teaching Caleb to ride a bike earlier this year. He was, he'd ridden uh, a bike without, wheel, uh, without pedals, so just a balanced bike, and we were wanting to, to teach him to ride a bike with pedals. I was determined, I had a goal, Caleb was going to ride a bike. So we got in the car, we went down to the uh, netball courts just down the road, 
had a bike with the with the you know the handle on the back so I could hold him and steady him while he pedaled. Got out of the car. I can't even remember if he got on the bike or not, but uh, within a minute he was back in the car. He wasn't going anywhere. He wasn't going to learn to ride a bike. Uh, I could not convince him. His two older brothers were there. They were encouraging him. No, come home again. Okay, so. I still had a plan. I knew he would learn to ride a bike. He's three years old. He'll get there. Uh, I knew the process that we had to go through, and so I persisted. And we went again. We went down to the CFA training ground, um, uh, CFA training field in the middle of town. There this time, and um, you know, got out of the car, set up the bike. I held onto the back. Caleb got on. Just a few little pedals. Forward, backwards, he kept, kept going like this, um, forward for a bit, then back on the brake, forward, back, forward, back, eventually, you know, a few turns in a row before the next back pedal, a few more turns, lots of frustration, um, there's lots of coaching from me, you know, um, right, pedal at the top, right foot down, this one, yep, that's it, okay, before you start, you've got to bring it up to the top, it's got to get over the hump before you come down, um, uh, don't watch out for your brother, don't steer too close to the gutter. Uh, lots of tears, there were lots of tears, lots of, come on, you can do it. Lots of encouragement, get up again. Um, lots of patience, maybe not so much patience as I could have had on my part. But he fell off numerous times, had lots of tears. Eventually, we got there. And it was probably only a, an hour or two down there. And he was able to, to do the length of the CFA um, training uh, um, bitumen. And then the second time we went down there, he was pretty much right. We took off the, the, the handle and I let him go. Now, I guess that's not a perfect analogy, um, but I guess it, hopefully it's helpful in, in this situation. We're looking at how we are sanctified. Now, my intention and my goal was to, uh, to teach my son how to ride a bike. And God's intention for us is that we grow uh, in sanctification, is our sanctification, that we, that we become completely sanctified, as the passage says here. Um, I could see the end result. I knew what had to happen. I knew uh, everything that was required to achieve. I knew the encouragement I needed to give him. I needed, knew that he needed to follow specific instructions. Um, I knew that I'd have to pick him up several times. Um, I knew I'd have to encourage him through those, those challenges. And it's the same for God and our sanctification. He knows what we are going to go through. He knows uh, the encouragement that we need. He knows that we need to uh, obey and follow um, his teaching and his instruction. He knows we need to abstain from evil. Uh, he knows that, that ultimately the goal is for us to be satisfied in God and to grow in Him. I gave Caleb specific instructions as part of that process. And here, through the Apostle Paul, God gives us specific instructions that are part of that process of our sanctification. And... Um, but ultimately, he knows the end goal, and 
He is faithful and He will take us to that destination. Even when we, uh, you know, the first time I took Caleb, uh, he just wanted to come home. And there are times, I'm sure, in our lives uh, when that's the same for us in our Christian lives. But God is faithful and He knows the end goal. And um, there's a verse here from the second letter that Paul writes to the Thessalonians, which I think is really um, helpful for us in this. And I've just I've highlighted the parts green that are God's, what God does, and I've highlighted the red parts that are what we do as far as this process of sanctification. So to this end, we always pray for you, that, your, that our God may make you worthy of His calling and may fulfill... Right, so God makes us worthy, God fulfills in us every resolve for good and every work of faith by His power. So that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and you in Him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. So we've got clearly here, God's working power, God's power is at work through our works of faith. Now, you know, we don't have to understand exactly how that happens, but uh, we know that God is faithful and we also are to follow and obey. Uh, Philippians 1.6, that great verse that says, He who has begun a good work in us will carry it on to completion. And look, if we're honest with ourselves, uh, if we were left to our own desires then we would fail in this, this, this goal, this, this goal, life goal of being sanctified, of becoming more Christ-like. Um, that's why that, that great verse in Lamentations is so encouraging, isn't it? That the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases, His mercy never comes to an end, and new every morning. And uh, why are His mercies new every morning? Because we fail every day and we need His grace. And... We sing that great song, when I, when I fear my faith will fail, Christ will hold me fast. When the tempter would prevail, he will hold me fast. I could never keep my hold through life's fearful path, for my love is often cold, he must hold me fast. He'll not let my soul be lost, his promises shall last. Bought by him at such a cost, he will hold me fast. So there's an idea that we are growing in holiness, but we're not there yet. Nevertheless, I'm going to touch on this point in verse 23, we are blameless. Even now, we are blameless in a legal sense. So, may the God of peace sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus. Um, this blamelessness is given to us the moment we trust in Christ. Our blamelessness is complete. We, we don't stand accused before God anymore because of our sin if we trust in the Lord Jesus and His death and resurrection for us. Um, and it's a complete blamelessness. The idea here of soul and body and spirit is the idea of completeness. Our whole person, our whole being is blameless before God. And so we live in that, uh, in that assurance that we are blameless because of what Christ has done for us. 
And that itself helps us in our journey as we, as we think about the fact that we have been made blameless. So that's, that's the process. Uh, that's the process of sanctification that we go through. And so now let's have a look at these specific exhortations, we'll call them, uh, that Paul gives to the church here um, that are part of that, that sanctification. The ways in which we are, some of the ways in which we are growing. So, the first one there, so we've got three, um, three exhortations in a positive sense, and then three that are kind of in a negative sense. Do, do this, three of them, and then three do nots. Um, so this is, uh, this is from verse uh, 16, rejoice always. And these three are, say, God's will. Back uh, in verse, um, this is God, this is, um, uh, this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So if you want to know what God's will is for you, this is a good place to start. These three things. So the first one, rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice always. Um, it reminds me of the, the shorter catechism. The first, or the first uh, catechism question is, uh, the chief, what is the chief end of man? To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. I learned that when I was um, younger because by memorizing the Shorter Catechism I was able to receive a $30 Kurong voucher as a part of the, the church I was part of as a, a little a competition I suppose. But um, that's the chief end of man is, is to, to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Enjoy, rejoice, same thing. We should have our joy in, in the Lord. Um, John Piper puts it, I like the way he puts it, he says, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. It's not that we are to rejoice in any and every situation that might be, we you know, go through terrible situations, uh, and we don't rejoice in those, but we rejoice in the Lord through those situations. And I was just thinking this week, how, how much greater a testimony it is, our lives are, when we can rejoice in the Lord in difficult circumstances. So, you know, some examples. You, you, we go through financial crises and you lose the super that you've saved up over so many years and, and your friends, it's the same as happening. And... They're all worried about losing their super, but your joy is in the Lord, and you know that you're you've got an eternal inheritance with Him, um, and so you rejoice. And that's a powerful testimony. Or you're sick, and you experience a deep contentment in the Lord, and, and knowing that your sickness brings about character in your life. And so you rejoice and you thank God for that, even though it's hard to go through it. And that's an incredible testimony. Or you, you, you know, you're afraid, people are afraid of death. And you think of the coronavirus coming and, 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 and wiping out um, people. Um, our parents, grandparents, who might succumb to the sickness. And, and yet, uh, we're not afraid of death. Uh, because we look forward to that day when there is no more sickness and pain. And that joy that we have in the Lord, that deep sense of joy, is a, is a great testimony. 
or people ridicule you for your faith, and yet you have a, a, a solid uh, rejoicing hope um, that, that the, the persecution is, uh, is given because you're worthy of, you know, we're worthy of, of suffering for the name of Christ. And Jesus said, rejoice when you're persecuted. Um, so, it's not just in good times, but in bad times, especially in bad times, that our joy in the Lord can really be such a testimony to those who, who do not have that same hope and that same trust. Um, you know, it doesn't mean singing and, and dancing all the time with happiness, but it, it's a deep, quiet sense of contentment in the Lord. I am the Lord's and He is mine, and nothing shall separate us. So that's the first one. The second one of these three is, is praying without ceasing. Uh, our, our sanctification should lead to a deepening relationship with God, and, and the, the fuel of that relationship is prayer. We talk to God. Um, Brian Harper's been sharing with us on the Lord's Prayer, and he, he shared with us the other week the four aspects of prayer. This, this word for prayer here in the Greek covers all types of prayers that we might pray. So he, Brian Harper spoke about the, the Acts prayer, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. And it's really about, it's about um, continuing in prayers. It's something that we have to do regularly. You know, adoration for a start. It, um, God is, uh, He is who He is. He's good. He's holy, He's awesome, He's the Creator. And that's always true. And, and every day we experience that. And so there's no time when we shouldn't be adoring Him. Confession. If we think about uh, our own uh, state before God, and, and even though um, if you, you are a Christian and you believe in the Lord Jesus, you are saved, uh, we still struggle with sin every day. And so we need to continue to confess. It's an ongoing thing. Thanksgiving. Uh, how you know the sun comes up every morning, uh, the birds sing, the flowers are out, seasons come, seasons go. The Lord is faithful, and there are many things to be thankful for every day. Um, it's an ongoing thing. Supplication. Uh, do we have needs? Yes, of course we do. Um, we will always have needs, and. Uh, so our physical needs, our spiritual needs, we need to bring them to the Lord. We're not self-sufficient like God is, and so we need to continue to bring our supplications to Him. To pray without ceasing, I don't think this means to babble on like the pagans do. It doesn't mean to repeat over and over the same sort of formula. Um, it's, it's not a ritualistic thing. It's just... it's presenting our hearts to God continually. You know, in our work, in our whatever we do during the day, we should be constantly uh, communicating with God. And I've got to confess, I, I can go through most of the day sometimes in the busyness uh, and then think, oh, I haven't even spoken to the Lord um, you know, since my quiet time this morning. And um, it shouldn't be like that. We should be uh, constantly... Uh, in communion with God. Prayer should be uh, like breathing, like air to us. It should be something that we need and, and, 
as we're sanctified, we grow in that. Um, certainly, if you look back at your Christian life, I hope you can see that uh, you spend more time in prayer than you did previously. How's your prayer life? Uh, if it's anything like mine, um, you would say that it can be better. Um, but, but hopefully, too, if you look back at where you've come from, uh, you will see that you have grown, too. The third of these, uh, these statements is the, uh, to give thanks in all circumstances. In, uh, in Romans 1.21 we see that unfaith, unthankfulness stems from an ungenerate heart. It says uh, in Romans 1.21, For even though they knew God, they did not honour Him as God or give thanks but they became futile in their speculations and their foolish hearts were darkened. So if, if unthankfulness is a product of an ungenerate heart, then for those who have been regenerated, born again, um, have the Spirit, have Christ living in us, then it should be a natural process that we become more thankful as we grow. Um, I was looking through the Psalms and, and searching for... Uh, where it says give thanks, there's so many places in the Psalms where it says give thanks. And there's, there's quite a few phrases that come up over and over again. Give thanks to the Lord. One common one is, for He is good. That comes up a lot of times in the Psalms. Um, give thanks to the Lord for His steadfast love is another one. His steadfast love endures forever. And another one that comes up is, give thanks to the Lord. Recount His deeds. So, you know, if we're feeling unthankful... Consider God's eternal faithfulness, His steadfast love. Consider the things that He has done. What's God done in your life? You look back 5, 10, 15, 20 years. What has God done in your life? James 1.17 uh, says that all good things come from our Father in heaven. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. Um, so we can be thankful for everything good. And even in, even things that, that are bad, uh, God still uses them for good. Romans 8.28 says that all things are for the good of those who love Him. So we can be thankful even in the difficult times. So that's, they're the three positive exhortations and then we come to three negative exhortations the do the do nots and so the first of those is do not quench the holy spirit what does it mean to quench the holy spirit well i, I guess quenching is uh, is a verb that we often most often use it in terms of fire putting out fire you, know, you pour water on a fire to quench it to snuff it out it's a little bit like what Jesus said in his parable of the lamp. Um, a lamp in his day was not an electric light bulb, it was fire. And he talked about putting it under a basket. Nobody puts a lamp under a basket where it can't be seen. And it's the same idea. We don't quench the Holy Spirit. I guess if we want to know what that means, then we should look at what is the role of the Holy Spirit. And so I, I just jotted down a few things that the, that the Bible talks about that uh, the Holy Spirit does in us. So, firstly, he's 
is intimately involved in our sanctification. We read in Galatians um, the fruit of the Spirit. So, um, He is working in us that fruit. And so, I, I guess, to quench the Holy Spirit would be to, uh, to, to, to reject that, to, to, um, to not pursue those things. You know, we're also told to, to, to work out our faith. Um, we're told to make every effort to grow. And so if we're not making that effort and if we're not relying on God and asking Him to grow us in those ways, then we're quenching the Holy Spirit. Uh, another thing, if you read through the Gospel of Acts, um, many times the Holy Spirit is associated with boldness to speak the message. And so to quench the Spirit, I guess, would be to, to, to run away from those situations where He has given us to exercise boldness in proclaiming the message. Uh, he convicts us of sin. The Holy Spirit convicts of sin. And so to quench the Holy Spirit would be to deliberately continue doing things that are sin. Uh, he teaches. So I guess the role uh, to quench the Holy Spirit would be to ignore teaching. To, 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 to drop off from fellowship and from listening to the Word or from reading His Word or, or when, we, when we do hear God's Word or a brother speaks to us about something in our life, then, then we ignore it. That would be quenching the Holy Spirit. Uh, he's our comforter. He's our comforter to encourage us, to strengthen us in our struggles. And another role of the Holy Spirit is to give us spiritual gifts. Every believer has uh, spiritual gifts. And we are to use them to build up God's people and to honour honor God. And so to grieve the, to um, quench the Holy Spirit would be to not use those gifts. Um, something similar related to um, quenching the Holy Spirit is to grieve the Holy Spirit. We, we, we've got to understand the closeness of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit lives in us, dwells in us, goes everywhere we go. And uh, it says in Ephesians 4.30 that we can actually grieve the Holy Spirit as well. So let's not quench the Holy Spirit. Let's not grieve the Holy Spirit. It does hurt the Holy Spirit when we disobey. The second uh, do not exhortation is uh, this one about prophecy uh, in verse 20. Do not despise prophecies. But test everything. Hold fast to what is good. The principle here is it's about discernment. It's about discerning what's true and what's not, what's good and what's not. Um, I guess the natural question to ask is what is prophecy? What's, what's Paul talking about here when he says prophecy? He's writing to the church in the New Testament. Uh, in the New Testament we have several examples of prophecy. I'm not going to go through them all now. Um, but there are some prophets mentioned in Acts, in particularly in the book of Acts. Um, the prophecy is a spiritual gift that's mentioned. And um, it's mentioned in Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12. And Paul said to the church in Corinth, he said, Earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. So it's, it's a gift that uh, was to be desired. And for building up to encourage and to console people. That's the purpose of prophecy in the New Testament. Um, whatever the prophetic message that's talked about here is, uh, it's something that needs to be tested and something we can take the good from. 
So you know, it doesn't. It's not. It might contain some good and some some bad. Some things that we re would reject. We need to test it. We need to be discerning. Um, Paul says a similar thing to the Corinthians. He says, "Let two or three prophets speak, and let the others weigh what is said." Weighing, testing, same idea. Um, and then he, he goes on to say about uh, that you may all be encouraged, and the spirits of prophets are subject to prophets. So the idea of of we of um, of uh, testing each other, um, listening to each other's words, and the prophet against the prophet, so that you know iron sharpens iron. Prophecy in the New Testament, I guess, is somewhat a difficult topic um, because there's disagreement about, particularly the gift of prophecy, about whether it continues, uh, whether it's still available today. Some preachers and teachers say that uh, the, the prophecy finished in the first century, it's no longer available to the, to the church. Some say that it continued. And even in... Uh, even, even in... Mafra Community Church, if we think about the, the pastors that we've had over the years, they've had different ideas, um, different views on this, um, while still maintaining the foundations of the Gospel. And I guess the, the thing, the conclusion that, that I've come to that's, that's, that I think is quite relevant is that all these teachers share one thing in common, that they agree on is that scripture is complete. That prophecy is not adding to scripture today. That was finished with the apostles and so um, we don't need to test the scripture. We, we know that it's all good. We don't need to you know, pick out the good bits from it. Um, and so if this passage here is about discernment, what are we to discern? And I suppose, at the very least, we should definitely be discerning uh, what we hear, especially from preachers and teachers. So, I'm doing some of that now, and you should be testing it against Scripture. We should test everything that we hear. We shouldn't take anything for granted. And um, it doesn't mean, I guess, that we should go and chase all sorts of teaching just to test them and see that they're good, we should gather around us good teaching, um, we should listen to people that, that listen to the Word of God, um, and we should, but we should test them knowing that, that all are fallible, um, unlike the Word of God. And I guess I personally wouldn't be comfortable, if we, um, as far as God speaking, uh, how does God speak today, I wouldn't be comfortable saying that, you know, limiting God and saying, God, only speaks a particular way, but whatever we hear, we need to test it against Scripture. Test it against the Bible. And the last one of these uh, negative exhortations is about uh, abstaining from evil. Verse 22, abstain from every form of evil. And um, Paul's already addressed some specific forms of evil from the church, this particular church. Um, particularly sexual immorality back in chapter 4, verse 3 and 4, um, and laziness in chapter 4, verse 11. And here he says, abstain from every form of evil. Um, you know, 
evil can take on many forms. That we we read about Satan masquerading as an angel of light. So evil can appear to be good if we're not discerning. There's a couple of sharp examples from of this from Proverbs. Here's one from chapter 23 about uh, alcohol in this case. Those who tarry long over wine, those who go to try mixed wine, do not look at wine when it's red, when it sparkles in the cup and goes down smoothly. The evil here is desirable. In the end, it bites like a serpent and it stings like an adder. I love that passage. Maybe it's because I, alcohol has never been a struggle for me. Um, but for some, for some of you, it has been a struggle, or it may, maybe it even is um, still today. Um, but I just love the way that it, it, you know, it looks so good, but then it, it stings. And um, there's another one in Proverbs 5: "My son, be attentive to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding, that you may have discretion, and your lips may guard knowledge." So here's the, here's the antidote. His knowledge and wisdom is the antidote to falling into evil. For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey. Her speech is smoother than oil. It's, it's smooth, it's enticing. But in the end, what? She is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps follow the path to Sheol. It destroys. It masquerades as light. But... It leads to destruction. And, uh, and these are just two examples, um, but they, could, they can apply to any form of evil. For me, when I was a teenager, it was computer games. Just a little bit, and then more and more, and in the end I, I was spending all day, uh, all day that I wasn't, you know, didn't have to be at school, I was on computer games. And wasting time, um, but they're also quite evil, um, you know, connotations in, in the computer games. And, um, that's something I overcame by the grace of God. Uh, that evil can take on many forms. I guess, uh, so as we come to a close, then we have these three positive exhortations, these three negative exhortations that are part of this, all these instructions that Paul's giving to the church. It's about sanctification. It's what we are doing. It's what we are growing in. But ultimately it's the Lord who's growing us in that. It's His faithfulness, His grace. He's taking us to a position. He has a goal. Just like I had a goal with uh, Caleb's riding his bike. God has a goal to, to sanctify us, to grow us in holiness. And... Um, the last aspect of this, I suppose, is, is the, the communal aspect. We mustn't forget that this is written to a group of believers, written to a local church. So when he says, brothers, pray for us, in verse 25, he's speaking to, to a group of people, praying for each other. We need each other. He speaks about greeting the brothers with a holy kiss. Um, maybe it should be a, a COVID-safe elbow, we could say, at the moment. But it's, it's, uh, it's togetherness. It's, it's not just, my sanctification is not just me and God. We are, um, we are together. We need to encourage one another. Uh, verse 27, I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. Again, it's the 
communal aspect of it. We must live in community in order to be sanctified. And we need to rub shoulders with one another. We need to rub up against each other sometimes. Uh, you know, iron sharpens iron. It's not always, um, it's not always easy or comfortable, but we must do it together. And, uh, and of course, we need God's grace, don't we, every day. And so he finishes with that great line, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Let's pray. Father, thank you that we are blameless in your sight through the blood of the Lord Jesus shed for us on the cross. We thank you that you have a goal for our sanctification and you are taking us there. Lord, may we trust in you and may we do these things that you've asked us to do because they lead to life and knowing you is joy and is peace. Lord, forgive us for our sin, our willful sin, our accidental sin. Lord, show us where we need to grow and work in us. Thank you for your Holy Spirit um, that works in us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.